I don't know if Nathan tells you this regularly, but just so you know, we know when you're sleeping. Uh, if you can see me, I can see you. So just in case you forget on that, uh, that, that felt bad, didn't it? It was like this tactic to try to keep you awake. So uh, maybe there were just a few too many people asleep during the first service. I hope that's no reflector of the sermon you're about to receive. So, um, well, good morning. It's, thank you, Connor, for reading. It's great to be together with you. It's um, really good to be back here teaching at the Olathe campus. Uh, I know that uh, there's some of you that uh, I have not had the opportunity to meet, so uh, let me just take a moment to introduce myself. My name is Kevin Harlan, and I serve on the pastoral team here. Uh, Sharon and I, my wife Sharon and I, began attending Christ Community actually in 1993, so um, four years after the beginning, and uh, I joined the pastoral staff in 2002. Uh, I primarily, or we primarily, attend the Leewood campus. Uh, it was the only campus at the time, and uh, we primarily attend the Leewood campus. I serve as part of the teaching team there, and but really my main role with, with Christ Community on staff is giving leadership and working alongside the uh, campus pastors across the city, and um, it is a joy to be able to encourage them in the work that God has called them to do. Uh, it's always so great for me to be hearing of the work that God is doing here in Olathe, and um, I love stopping by and getting a chance to worship with you. I often come in the back quickly and uh, head out and try to make multiple campuses on one Sunday, so uh, it's always a joy for me, to be back, for me to be back here. And for those of you that were pioneers, I see some of you here in the room that uh, began this work six years ago. I just want to stop and say thank you. Uh, you know, as I look back over the last six years, it's amazing to see what God has done in uh, putting this congregation together, and it's a joy for me to be back um, here, and I'm thankful for the investment that you made uh, by leaving a comfort zone and beginning something new. And really, I can't pass this opportunity up to, um, and miss this opportunity to not say thank you to Nathan and Kelly Miller for their leadership, and I know they're not here this morning. They were here for service which is okay, because Nathan really hates this part anyway and uh, would not want me to do it. But uh, I am so thankful that God has used them uh, and their servants' hearts to invest in the life of this congregation. And I just see um, the investment that they've made and the stories that I hear from you in both your individual lives and the organizational life of Christ community broadly. And so I know they're not here, but just could you humor me for a moment and thank them? Yes. And you can tell Nathan later how awkward it was that he wasn't here when we clapped for him, and uh, just go ahead and acknowledge that. Sharon and I have two sons. Uh, Both are married, uh, employed, which is big, and uh, living in Tulsa now. Um, And they were both kind to me, actually, because as I aged, they were kind enough to both marry girls named Megan. So I... As I get older and forget names, I just have one. So uh, fortunately, our, old, our youngest son, his most recently married in October, his wife has always gone by Maggie, so we didn't have to create a nickname for anybody. So that's great. Uh, I'm thankful for that. At the end of January, one of my boys, I don't remember who it was, I think posted something on my Facebook wall and said, hey, Dad, you got to check this out. And um, it was a video that quickly went viral. And chances are high that you in this room are one of the 13 million views of this video. But if you have seen it, I think you'll agree with me, it's worth a repeat. So watch. I think we all need a pep talk.
The world needs you. Stop being boring. Yeah, you. Boring is easy. Everybody can be boring, but you're gooder than that. Life is not a game, people. Life isn't a cereal either. Well, it is a cereal. And if life is a game, aren't we all on the same team? I mean, really, right? I'm on your team. Be on my team. This is life, people. You got air coming through your nose. You got heartbeat. That means it's time to do something. A poem. Two roads diverged in the woods, and I took the road less traveled. It hurt, man. Really bad. Rocks, thorns, and glass. My pants broke. Wah! Not cool, Robert Frost. But was there really were two paths? I won't be the one that leads to awesome. It's like that dude Journey said. Don't stop believing. Unless you dream stupid, then you should get a better dream. <laughs> I think that's how it goes. Get a better dream and keep going, keep going, keep going, and keep going. What Michael Jordan have quit? Well, he did quit. So he retired. Yeah, yes, he retired. But before that, in high school, what if he quit when he didn't make the team? He would never made Space Jam. And I love Space Jam. What will be your Space Jam? What will you create will make the world awesome? Nothing if you keep sitting there. That's why I'm talking to you today. This is your time. This is my time. It's our time. We can make every day better for each other. If we're all on the same team, let's start acting like it. We got work to do. We can cry about it, or we can dance about it. <laughs> we were made to be awesome. Let's get out there. I don't know everything. I'm just a kid, but I do know this. Everybody's doing to give the world a reason to dance. So get to it. Isn't that great? You've just been pep-talked. If you've seen it before, you probably have some favorite lines, don't you? You've probably quoted them to someone, and uh, I certainly am one that has many favorite lines in there. But just to give you a little bit of, maybe tell you about my age, as well as my sense of humor, uh, maybe my favorite line is there in there is, it's like that dude Journey said, don't stop believing unless your dream is stupid. <laughs> that whole section on Michael Jordan is just perfect, isn't it? I mean, it's like, what if he had quit? Well, he, had, he did quit. No, he did retired. He never would have made Space Jam. I mean, that piece right there is just perfect. Hidden in the middle of that, actually, it's right following his, I think, the other classic line of, not cool, Robert Frost, uh, which you laugh and you miss, I think, one of the most um, pertinent questions of the whole video. And it's probably, you've only heard it if you've watched it multiple times. It's a question I think each of us must wrestle with. And as we dig into Deuteronomy 30 this morning, the scripture points us to this exact same question. And he asks this question, sitting in front of the lockers, he says, what if there really were two paths? This is a sobering question that I think, if I, I have a hunch that many of us here wrestle with this question, or at one time or another in our life have wrestled with this question. Even though it may come out worded differently than kid president, we've asked this question of ourselves, does the path I choose really matter? 
And, and we try at times maybe to shake that question off by just saying, not cool, Robert Frost. But we're still left with this question, what if there really were two paths? As we look more closely this morning at Deuteronomy 30, I think we'll see these two main points for today. One is that there really are two paths. And secondly, that God wants us all to be on the path that leads to awesome. So let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy 30 with me. Uh, It's the fifth book of the Bible, by the way. Uh, If that helps you get there, we're going to look at chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Uh, Connor read it for us this morning. Uh, If you are new with us today, let me just fill you in a little bit of where we've been and kind of get you to this point. We've been taking a journey together as a community, um, and we've been walking through this big story of God. We started at the beginning, and we're going to finish at, well, the end, actually, the end. It's not really the end. It's sort of the end. We're going to finish at the end of the Bible. We're taking a look at this whole big picture of Scripture throughout 2013. If you're following along in the reading plan, by the way, um, and you had time with all of Daylight Savings, the loss of the hour, if you had time to read uh, the scripture this morning that is our reading for our daily reading, you would have read this passage uh, today. So let's look at Deuteronomy 30 again. Uh, Connor began in verse 11, but I want us to start reading in verse 13. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and to possess. This section of the passage makes it very plain that there really are two paths. And Moses, I think, wants to make it very clear where these paths lead. One leads to life and one leads to death. Now, when we hear this language of life and death, this ought to wake us up and cause us to want to pay attention. But unfortunately, many of us are just so familiar with this life and death language. And maybe we've read too many catchy Christian slogans about choosing life that at this moment we can begin to tune this out and sort of see it as more shallow Christian drivel. But let's be clear on this matter as we look at this today. The people who are listening to these words spoken by Moses are surely paying attention. Just to remind us, Deuteronomy is like one big sermon that Moses is giving to God's people to prepare them to enter into the promised land. And those he is speaking to right now are the children of a generation of people that made mistake after mistake. And as a result, they wandered in the wilderness, and those people did not get to enter the promised land. And now their children stand there, and Moses is preparing them to enter the promised land. I mean, these people he's speaking to had a firsthand understanding of death, the death that comes when an entire generation rejects God. They had experienced this path to death. 
And yes, they were hoping for a new life, a new start, the promised land that God had said they would experience. And and Moses speaks to them of these two paths. First, he says, there is a path that leads to life, which begs a question, what is this life that Moses is speaking of? We get a few few of the hints in the way Moses speaks of this. The first hint you'll notice in verse 15, he, he contrasts two words with two words. He says, life and good and death and evil. This word good packaged together with the idea of life, this word good is the same word used in Genesis 1 and 2. A word recorded for every time God created, made his creation, and he stepped back and looked at it and said, this is good. The original hearers or the original readers of this would have been signaled to know that what life was was a life that God intended in the garden, the life that was designed in Genesis 1 and 2. Repeatedly, Moses points God's people back to the path of God's design. When he does this, he, if you've been reading along this week, you know he common uses this, commonly uses this language of blessings. Here's another word that oftentimes we just sort of tune out as, you know, bless you or blessings. And it's like, you know, it just becomes meaningless to us, right? But these blessings are repeated frequently in Deuteronomy 28. Um, in Deuteronomy 28, I think beginning in verse 2, if you want to flip back a few pages, this is one of the best pictures of the life that God promises us, who offers us, He attends for us. It says there, it says, and these, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. And blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle and the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be in your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be when you come in and blessed shall be when you go out. In other words, you will experience an abundant life, a life that God intended. Now, when we read a passage like this, we can begin to think, and, and maybe even get bogged down a little bit by the abundance, the apparent abundance here, or the blessings here, and begin to wonder, is God promise, promising them and, as a result, promising us a prosperous life? Well, the answer is actually yes. But for us, for most of us, at least I know certainly for me, it's not the kind of prosperity that I most often think about. Because when we think of prosperity, or maybe here just to let you into my heart about a bit, when I think about prosperity, I often go to my wants, the things that I really want, and God giving me all the things that I want. And if I'm really honest with myself, oftentimes it's even I hope for things that I can't even think of. I might even baptize it a little bit with some Christian ease or some language from Scripture to say that God will give me exceedingly beyond all that I can think or hope or want. And by the way, want's not in there, but that's what I think in my head. It's like maybe God will just even give me more than I want. This is not the type of prosperity or the prosperous life that God is promising. 
Instead, he's pointing back to the garden and saying, I would like to give you the life that I intended for you to have at the beginning. If God is offering us this life as it was meant to be, what does Moses have to say then about how we choose this path? When it says choose life, what does that mean? How do we choose this path? And how do we get there? Well, I know for some of you, you're not a big fan of the practice of repetition in learning. And if that's you today, well, I hate to tell you, but you maybe aren't going to like this, what I have to say. Because if you've been reading along, what I'm about to say, or if you were here last Sunday, what I'm about to say is going to sound exactly like what you've been hearing. Look with me at verse 16. And I think, by the way, the repetition here in Deuteronomy is very purposeful. And so let me speak it to you again. If you, uh, Moses makes it clear there, and he even gives us an if-then clause. Do you see it there? That if you do this, then you'll experience this. So how do we experience this life? How do we get on this path to life? We love God and we keep his commandments. Does that sound familiar? It should, by the way. Um, The pages of Deuteronomy are filled with this common refrain. It was at the heart of last week's message. and, And as you're probably familiar with, and I think Nathan may have pointed out last week, that when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest of all the commandments... How did he respond? To love God and keep his commandments. How do we choose the path to life? We love God and obey his word. Do what he says. But what about this other path? Is there really a path to death? This is where some of us can get lost. Because we really don't want to think about the possibility that a loving God would allow or even send some people down a path that leads to death. But what if there really were two paths? Let's face it, we struggle with the idea that, a, that God would cause or allow death, don't we? I mean, I think if we are honest and and search our souls, there's been some point or another in our life where this just doesn't make sense to us. Um, I mean, we're a big fan of a God who loves, a God who gives generously, a God who dispenses grace, a God who forgives. The whole life abundantly thing, yes, I'm all in for that. But a path that leads to death Sometimes we just sort of walk out of church and think, well, you know, I kind of like the good part. I'm just going to kind of pass that off. And, you know, I'll, I just believe God's a God of love. If you're reading along with the daily Bible reading plan, I'm guessing that sometime in the last couple months that you thought to yourself, okay, this seems weird. I mean, why is all the killing? Why is there so much death? Why is there so much destruction? Isn't God a God of love? I mean, I know Sharon and I have had this conversation many times over the last two months. It's like, okay, enough. You know, can we please get out of this, you know, particular book that we're reading? I want to read something better, or so I think. Well, think with, think with me about this for a moment. All loving persons get angry, right? 
If someone you love is being mistreated or abused or something's happening to them negative, what's your response? You get angry. You seek justice, right? One requires the other. It's, it's a response that a loving person has. So how can we imagine a God who loves without providing a place for a God who also becomes angry? Or to use the word that's often described in the Bible or used in the Bible to describe his anger as a God of wrath. One requires the other. You following me on this? I love the way uh, Becky Pippert in, his, in her book, uh, Hope Has Its Reason, speaks of this. She says, anger has, isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. God's wrath, she says, is not a cranky explosion, but his settled opposition to the cancer, which is eating out the insides of the human race he loves from his whole being. The scriptures tell us over and over again of how God loves his creation, every part of his creation. And it's the vandalism and destruction of this creation, which, by the way, is the very definition of sin. It's the vandalism and destruction of his creation that leads to his wrath or to his anger. And through that comes justice. And so Moses, through, uh, and through his spokesman Moses, God now tells his people, including us here this morning, there are two paths. One leads to life. And one leads to death. Now, if we can get our minds around the fact that there are two paths, then here's the deal. Maybe for all of us, I mean, honestly, who would choose the path that leads to death? Right? I mean, we all want to be on the path to life, right? Who, who would choose death? I mean, it's like, oh, yes, for me, I, I will take the path that leads to death. You know, and that's stupid. I mean, that's not going to happen, right? So why would Moses spend time here in Deuteronomy 30 telling these people, here is what the path of death looks like? Why wouldn't he just focus on, here's what it looks like to choose life? If you look in verse 17, I think we get a, a little idea of this because Moses wants them to know that the path to death is subtle and can often sneak up on you. I think this is a a huge reminder for us this morning. There's a threefold progression that you might see there in verse 17. He says that our hearts turn away, then we do not hear, and then we are drawn away. Sometimes this can take years to happen, by the way. Our heart's affections don't change overnight. They move slowly. And it requires regular attention to our hearts to rightly order our loves. And when we neglect paying attention to this, we can begin to turn away. And when we turn away, what happens? We no longer hear. I mean, this makes logical sense, doesn't it, if we really stop and think about it? Uh, We listen to the people or the things that we love, right? I mean, we listen to those we love. And when the focus of our affection changes, 
so do the dominant voices in our life. And here's the kind of sneaky part of this, is that unless we have people in our lives who are speaking truth into our lives in the midst of us reordering or changing the order of our loves, it's impossible for us to see or understand that this is happening because we no longer hear. And this is exactly what Moses means by the fact that we are drawn away. The word picture here he's using is one of like we're lured away by bait. There's not an intention like, oh, I'm going to choose the path of death. It's we turn our hearts away, we love something else, we stop hearing, and next thing we know, the hook is set down the path of death. So let me just ask this morning, I think it's important for each of us to consider a few questions. What are our hearts focused on today? Are we rightly ordering our loves Do you find yourself this morning being lured away? And how would you know? Do you have people in your life that are speaking truth, who know you and can tell you honestly about the things that you're loving that may not be things that lead to the path of life? Look with me at verse 19. Moses continues his pleading to God's people And he says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, he says, you can almost almost hear this, therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and the length of days. I think in these two verses, Moses wants to make it very clear to them that God wants us all to be on the path, to use the phrase of kid president, to be on the path that leads to awesome. I mean, we all want to be on this path, right? But how? What does this look like? How do we take steps forward down this path to life? As we conclude this morning, let me just suggest three things I think would be important reminders for us as we consider this and what it means for us to choose life. First of all, I think we all need to be aware that life is a who, not a what. You see in verse 20, Moses makes it clear to them. It's a phrase you'll find there that says, He is your life. At the risk of maybe sounding too much like Dr. Seuss and repeating this again, life is not a what, it is a who. As Jesus prepared to physically depart his disciples, he frequently talked about the fact that he was leaving. I don't know about you, but I often find humor in the conversations that Jesus had. You know, we're on the other side of it, and we know the big picture. They're sitting there in the moment, and sometimes they just seem silly, don't they, that they couldn't quite figure it out, and they were left scratching their heads like, you know, that's really weird, Jesus. What are you talking about? You know, you're going to be leaving, and there's one of those moments where Jesus tells them that he's going to be leaving to go to prepare a place for them. And when it's done, he'll come back and he'll get them. And, and Thomas asks a question that I think, if we are honest, we, we would, might be likely to ask the same question. And you can almost see him raising his hand, uh, excuse me, Jesus, um, but we don't know where it is you're going. You know, could you tell us 
where it is you're going. It matter, could you give us some directions on how to get there? You can hear this question, and Jesus responds back with familiar words. Looking right at Thomas, he says, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through me. The path to life is first and foremost a person, and that person is Jesus. I am the life, Jesus says. Secondly, it's also important for us to know that all paths do not lead to life. As much as we long for a, word, a world without a path that leads to death, don't be fooled into believing or living as if you aren't at risk of following the path to death. Jesus frequently spoke of two paths. Do you remember these haunting words? Jesus speaks in Matthew 7. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, or might we say death, and those who enter it by it are many. But, Jesus says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The path to life is narrow, and the way that leads to life is hard. And so we must remember the third thing as we depart, that choosing life requires death. Kid President, I think, is right in reminding us that we were made to be awesome. We were made to be awesome. But the Christian story tells us that we didn't stay awesome. And sin entered the world, and as a result of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, we all are broken. We are sinners. We, we're not what God intended. And that includes our desires, our ability to choose. And as a result, we gravitate toward this path of death. And my hunch is that you're sitting here this morning thinking, wait a minute, I, I, I don't choose right. I don't choose well. How can I make this choice? How can we choose the path that leads to life? Well, Moses wants to make it clear that we can make this choice. Jesus speaks these words as well when he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever would lose his life for my sake would find it. Choosing life requires that we must die. We must die to self. The path to life requires us to regularly make decisions to die to self, to be selfless, to obey God and his ways. But this choosing is not just a one-way street, by the way. It's not just a matter of on our own strength. We can choose to follow. We can never follow in a way that would allow us to deserve the life that God intended. But there is good news that God chooses us. God chose us, and as a result, Christ died 
for the price, the penalty, the wrath that we could no longer pay. Our sinfulness, our brokenness, the vandalism of His creation that we had created, it required wrath, it required death, and we deserve it. But it was redirected to Christ, who on the cross served as a substitute for the death that we deserved. Paul, in his letter to the Romans in chapter 5, he wrote this. He said, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation, the trespass of Adam and Eve for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. It's interesting, in his letter to the Romans, Paul, in in chapter 10, he actually draws from Deuteronomy 30. I encourage you to read it this week. If you want to see a connection to Deuteronomy and what we read today, go to to Romans 10. Read, and you'll see uh, Paul's connection to Deuteronomy 10. He talks about the futility of trying to live by the law and trying to do it just on our own strength and effort. And he begins to point toward a new beginning point, a new way of entering this path to life, a new starting point. And he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will find life. To choose life is to choose Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, wherever we may be this morning, may we hear you. Lord, may you help us rightly order our loves so that we can hear from you and not turn away from you. Lord, may you lead us to the path of life. Lord, we are thankful for the gift that you gave us in paying this penalty of the death that we deserve. And Lord, I I am just sensing this morning there may be some here this morning that um, have never confessed with their mouth that you are Lord. And believed in their heart that you could give them this life. And turned and walked away from their old life. A life that leads to the path of death. Father, I pray for them right now. May you speak to them. May you lead them to this confession. And may they place their hope and trust in you. Lord, and for all of us, we pray that you would give us the strength to live the life that you called us to live, that we may experience the life as you intended it. Lord, may we be faithful as we choose life together. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
but 